I want you to take your Bible tonight and open up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Coming to this portion of uh, Scripture, this text, uh, for a second time to a marvelous portion of God's Word, uh, a chapter that many have called the best chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. Let me read the first uh, four verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Uh, the verses that I've just read are rich uh, in theological truth. They are uh, indeed a glorious display of the power uh, of divine grace and the provision which God has made for us, whom uh, whom he has redeemed. Uh, th- these words deal with our justification and the ultimate guarantee of our eternal security in Christ, the assurance of our salvation, uh, the final certainty of our ultimate glorification and the entire deliverance of every uh, in every respect for those who are in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's, it's the great theme of justification. It's the security of the Christian. It's the doctrine of the final perseverance of the saints. Uh, again, the ultimate and complete final salvation for everyone who believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the theme of the chapter. And the chapter starts off from no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and it ends with uh, no separation from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus uh, our Lord. It, it's a great good news. Uh, the greatest good news that any person could ever hear. It's an absolutely life-changing truth that should and must affect every aspect of our life. Because apart from this truth, the Bible says there was a time uh, when there was condemnation. And that time when there was condemnation is when we were in Adam, before we came to saving faith in Christ. Before we were all freely justified by God as a gift of his grace in Christ, we were all condemned just like the rest of the world. Paul says in Ephesians 2, we, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were uh, by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So there was a time when each and every one of us in the room, uh, all of us were overpowered and over and burdened, dominated by the corruption of our sin. Paul says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul says there's none righteous, no, not one. So born in the world, we're born guilty. And not only born guilty, but we're born condemned, uh, born into the world with a sinful nature. As David said in Psalm 51 and 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and sin my mother conceived me. In the NIV it says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And again, man is not simply inconvenienced by sin, but man is completely overpowered by sin. Nobody escapes the corrupting uh, influence. Nobody escapes the dominating influence of sin by their own effort because sin defiles everything. Sin degrades, it corrupts every person. Sin steals peace and joy from the heart. It brings in its place uh, trouble and pain. Uh, It brings bondage to both uh, disease and death. And sin places man under the power of Satan himself, the ruler of this present evil world system, making those under his rulership sons of disobedience. And sin, of course, brings God's judgment, God's condemnation, God's curse, God's damnation. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, a certain terrifying expectation of judgment that awaits the unforgiven sinner, the fury of fire which God will consume his adversaries. So sin brings nothing but misery and time and God's eternal wrath and condemnation uh, in the future without mercy for those who have rejected Christ. Pain without compassion. Uh, Revelation 20, verse 14, calls it the second death. And of course, sin is humanly impossible to cure. Because we're all guilty in Adam, and because of Adam and Adam's sin, we're all guilty of what is known as original sin. And original sin doesn't refer to the first sin committed by Adam, but to the results of Adam's sin, to the fact that one sin corrupted the entire human race. Every single one of us, unrighteous by nature, we're all totally depraved. All of our motives, actions, words, deeds, thoughts, 
all affected and infected by sin, all of our natural inclinations opposite of holiness. And every part of our being, every faculty of our mind, all of our affections, all of our reasoning power, our will, all negatively affected by sin. Therefore, every man who's born into the world is born into corruption, born in sin, born under condemnation, born under the wrath of a holy God. And we know that to be true because uh, the Bible says in Romans 5 and 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Through the one man Adam and his rebellion against God, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. Death is what is known as the penal evil, if you will, the penal evil, the penalty for sin, the penalty for disobeying God's divine law. And so death spread to all men. Through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Why? Because all have sinned. We're all offspring of Adam. And in Adam, every man dies. Death is the physical proof of the reality that all men are sinners. Sinners by birth, sinners by practice, sinners by divine declaration. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So again, every man born of the world is guilty. Guilty of sin under condemnation. Romans 5.17 For by the transgression of the one, that would be an Adam. For by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one. Verse 18, so then through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. Verse 19, through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Adam took the entire race into sin. He brought the entire race of mankind under God's curse and judgment and all of the miseries that uh, we endure in a fallen world, including our just condemnation before a holy God. And again, not only are we guilty, but we're all rightly and righteously condemned. Now, that's the backdrop, really the dark backdrop, the dark description of the reality of mankind's condition before a holy God as you come to Romans 8.1 that says, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's one of the greatest verses in the entire Bible, one of the greatest verses and the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. One of those verses that I personally believe that any time it is read, it deserves a shouty, uh, uh, a sh- shout out, a hearty shouting of uh, amen, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, we stand when we uh, sing the hallelujah chorus from Handel's Messiah. It seems most certainly appropriate to me that we can shout a hearty amen when we read from God's word. And it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. amen. All right. Now, I'm going to cancel that rule. <laughs> Because I'm going to say that a hundred times tonight. So any other time it's good, but not, 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 not the remainder of the night, huh? Amen. Amen. Now, last time when we were together, it was a couple weeks ago, we just started to introduce the, the eighth chapter. And I showed you how it fits into the context of the overall teaching of the book. And, and that introductory word, verse uh, one, therefore, doesn't really take us back to chapter seven or really even back to chapter 6, but it takes us at least back to chapter 5. So turn back real quickly to chapter 5, and I'll just work through this really quickly. Chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 6, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And then Paul starts talking about God's grace through uh, the person of Jesus Christ, that though through one man uh, act of sin, that would be Adam, he brought condemnation to the entire race, right? Verse 12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all because all sinned. And then he starts talking about Christ, that through that one act of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, that resulted justification of life to all men who believe. Verse 15, But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace 
of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Verse 16, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on one hand, the judgment arose from the transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Verse 17, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Verse 19, for as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. And then Paul ends the chapter, verse 20, He says, the law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then 8.1 says, therefore, as a result of all that truth, remember I told you that chapter 6 and 7 are basically parenthetical statements. Therefore, under the reign of grace, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. It's absolutely, utterly impossible. There's none. And what he's saying is, therefore, there is now, under these circumstances of what Adam did and the so much more of what Christ did, under these circumstances, under these conditions, under under the reign of grace, there is now therefore no condemnation For those who have been justified by faith, verse 1 of chapter 5. There's no condemnation for those who have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2 of chapter 5. There's no condemnation for those who have obtained their introduction by faith who are standing in grace. There's no condemnation for those who exult in the hope of the glory of God. There's no condemnation for those whom Christ died. There's no condemnation for those whom God has demonstrated his own love towards that while we were yet sinners. There's no condemnation for those who have now been justified by Christ's blood. There's no condemnation for those who have been saved from the wrath of God through Christ. There's no condemnation for those who were once enemies but now reconciled to God through the death of his Son. There's no condemnation for those who are under the reign of grace uh, uh, through the righteousness to eternal life that is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a tremendous statement. And I told you really that not only does this introductory statement in Romans 8.1, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, not only does it take you back just to chapter 5, it really takes you back to the main theme of the entire book, again, to the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. So Romans 8.1 really is a restatement of the theme that Paul left off in, with in chapter 5, but again, it really is a restatement of everything that he's been saying from the beginning of the book. It's a summary statement, you, if you will, of the argument that began all the way back in chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. So when you come to chapter 8, verse 1, it's just really a repeating of that theme. Paul just keeps repeating the theme. There's now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And again, as the opposite of condemnation is what? Justification. All right, the opposite of condemnation is justification. And justification is the act of God whereby he declares an ungodly man to be perfect while he is still yet ungodly. And I'm going to say that again. Justification is the act of God whereby he declares an ungodly man to be perfect while he is still ungodly. Romans 4 and 4 says, Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as favor, but as what is due. Romans 4 verse 5, But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. So those who are justified by faith are in Christ. And in Christ, there's now no condemnation. Again, Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 of that chapter, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. There is no condemnation. Listen to me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? 
because the Lord Jesus Christ has already suffered all the condemnation that is due for our sin and for our corruption. Therefore, although guilty, we stand uncondemnable before God because of Christ. That's a tremendous truth. We, although guilty, stand uncondemnable because of Christ before God. Now make sure that you're back in Romans 8. And again, Paul just keeps repeating the theme. He, he, he like uh, other writers, just has one drum. He just keeps beating it over again. He's not ashamed of the gospel. He's showing you the gospel, working out the implications of the gospel. He is unashamed of the gospel that has set him free from condemnation. Therefore, that truth, everything in his life revolves around that truth. Again, 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And again, that two, little two-letter word, no, tremendously powerful. A vitally important word that we should really remember and hold on to. Because that word, no, helps us to understand our position now as Christians. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, right? The person who is a Christian has been taken out completely, uh, removed from, and entirely outside the realm of any possibility uh, of or conceivable condemnation. The Christian is finished with the realm of condemnation. Uh, the Christian has nothing more to do with it. It's utterly impossible for the Christian. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Christian is a man who can never come under condemnation again because he's justified. All of our sins, past, present, and future, have been fully dealt with by God in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, remember the word condemnation. It's a strong Greek Greek word. It means uh, a sentence, a death sentence, or damnatory sentence. Uh, to give judgment against our penalty. Uh, so the word condemnation is a, is a legal term that includes both the sentence and the execution of the sentence. And Paul has already taught that, taught that the penalty for sin is what? Death. Physical death, eternal death, eternal punishment. But for the believer, there is now no eternal sentence hanging over your head. Because there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse says you could uh, literally translate that sentence like this. He says, not a whit, therefore, now of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I like that. Not a whit. Those who are in Christ Jesus have been delivered from the penalty that sin required, which is death, eternal death, eternal condemnation, eternal lostness, separation from God, estrangement from God. For those who are already in Christ, for those who are already in Christ justified by faith, they have peace with God. There is now no condemnation because the debt has been paid. You're freed from paying any debt for anything that you've done wrong because Christ has paid the debt in full. That's the gospel. That's the heart and the soul of the gospel. And again, the most wonderful truth, freeing truth, that anybody could ever hear. You were condemned... But now in Christ, there's not a bit, not a whit of condemnation, not the slightest. You're not under obligation to pay any debt regarding your sin. Again, it's been paid for in full, canceled out. The the debt has been paid uh, uh, free uh, from the guilt, free from the condemnation, forgiven. Never will you come under any kind of circumstance to be subject again to divine condemnation. I mean, that's encouraging truth. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for who, what does the text say? He says, for those who are in, in Christ Jesus. That's the definition of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is one who's in Christ, united with Christ, joined with Christ, one with Christ. You might remember back in Romans 6, 3, I said, do you not, the, Paul wrote, do you not know that those who have, uh, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And you might remember when I taught through that, I told you that was a dry verse, if you will. He's not talking about water. He's 
He's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about identification with the person of Jesus Christ. The moment that you come to faith in Christ, you're placed into Christ. And the man who is in Christ has been baptized into Jesus Christ, baptized into his death, immersed into Christ, totally enveloped, totally encompassed by the person of Christ. And because the believer is in Christ, baptized into his death, we've died with him. If we've died with him, we've been buried with him. And thanks be to God, the text also says, because we've died with him and buried, been buried with him, we've been what? Raised with him. Right? We're raised. He was raised from the dead. We've been raised from the dead with him because of our union with him. And because of our union with him, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, you'll never under any circumstance be subject to divine condemnation. Romans 6 and 4 says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. I mean, again, it's just tremendous truth. For those who are in Christ, all that belongs to Christ belongs to us. All that happened to Christ happened to us. We are together with him, one with him. And Paul uses that phraseology everywhere in Christ. Romans 6 and 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. All right? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword? Verse 38 of uh, Romans 8 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in Christ Jesus you'll never under any circumstance be subject to divine condemnation. In Christ you will know, never know any separation from the love of God. No condemnation and no separation for those who are in Christ. It is utterly impossible. Therefore, for the Christian, the true believer, uh, they can never be lost. Because the true believer is in Christ, not by his own doing, but by God's doing. 1 Corinthians 1 and 30. But by his doing, speaking of God the Father, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. A true believer can never be lost because a true believer is in Christ by the Father's own doing. And a true believer who is in Christ has been transformed and changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things pass away, and behold, new things have come. Now, when that phraseology is used in Christ, it means more than just, quote-unquote, believing in Jesus. It means much more than, quote-unquote, making a decision for Christ or making much more than just, I've decided to join the church. When Paul uses that statement of in Christ, it really is a statement of intimacy. It's a statement of intimacy. It's a statement found in none of the other religious systems of the world. You'll never hear anybody in Islam talking about being in Muhammad or in the prophet. You'll never hear anybody say, I am in Buddha or in Confucius. Confusion, maybe, but not Confucius. You'll never hear anybody say, I am in Joseph Smith. This kind of phraseology of in Christ is completely unique to biblical Christianity and Christianity alone. Because the truth is, we used to be in Adam, but now we're in Christ. And when we came to saving faith in Christ, we came out of Adam and were born again in Christ. Again, just like we were past tense in Adam and everything he did, everything he was, we are a part of it. When he sinned, we sinned with him. When he died, we died also. But thanks be to God, the opposite side of the coin is true. Uh, When we come to faith in Christ, we are in Christ and everything that is true of Christ is true of us. He died, we died. He rose, we rose with him. He ascended, and we are seated with him in the heavenly places at this very moment, intimately connected with Christ, uh, in Christ, as it says in the book of Ephesians. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, Steve Lawson puts it like this. He says, because you're in Christ, 
Christ himself would have to be condemned before you could ever be condemned. Christ would have to be cast into eternal hell forever in order for the believer to be cast into eternal hell forever. The Bible says that we're already seated with Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2 and 6. Before you go to heaven, you have to been already uh, have been to heaven. You're just as certain for heaven as it is this. You are just as certain for heaven in this moment as if you had already been there 10,000 years. When God says no condemnation, it is irrevocable, irreversible, a declaration from God to be true forever. He goes on and says, this truth sets us free to live the Christian life. We are not on a performance treadmill trying to gain God's eternal acceptance. It's already a done deal. Rather than trying to live our lives to earn God's favor, the grace of the status of no condemnation by the Father should fuel the fire for our motivation to live the Christian life. What an amazing pardon God has given us, he says, in Christ. We can rest assured that those who are in Christ have no condemnation before God. That's pretty helpful. We are in Christ. Therefore, there's now no condemnation. Now, do you know why I keep repeating? Do you know why I keep saying there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Do you know why I keep saying that over and again? I'll tell you. I knew you'd ask. I keep repeating that statement because there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now you can say, Amen. Right? It's just truth. I just get up here and try to share the truth with you. The Bible says we're in Christ spiritually. 1 Corinthians 15.22 For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The Bible says we are in Christ vitally. 1 Corinthians 12.27 Now you are in Christ's body and individually members of it. Christ himself, John 15.5 I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. He's saying, look, there is a vital life-giving union that we have with Christ. We're part of him. We've been made partakers of the same spirit in him. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We're all made to drink of one spirit. We're in Christ spiritually, we're in Christ vitally, and we're in Christ relationally. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, it says in 1 John 1 and 3. That means that in Christ, we are in union with Christ. We are in fellowship with Christ. We are in fellowship with the Father. And because we're all in Christ, we're in fellowship with each other. Right? The family of God. We're part of his body. We're all now together alive in Christ. John Phillips, in his commentary, has a wonderful illustration, I think, as to help us understand what it means to be in Christ and what it means to be absolutely secure in Christ. He says it's like the picture in the Old Testament of Noah and the ark when God told Noah that he was going to bring divine judgment upon the earth because of the wickedness and sin of mankind. And the only way, the only way of escape from divine wrath would be to build an ark and then enter into it. Do you notice there wasn't another option? Right? It's only what God says to be true. The only way to escape divine wrath that is coming upon the entire world, build an ark, enter into it. This is what Philip says. He says, now the ark was pitched within and without uh, with pitch. And interesting enough, he says, the Hebrew word for pitch is the identical word used elsewhere for atonement. Between the saved in the ark and the waters of judgment without was the hewn wood and the pitch. Once Noah and his family were safely in the ark, we read that the Lord shut him in, Genesis 7, verse 16, and he was completely secure. God did not say to Noah, once the ark was finished, now Noah, I want you to take eight spikes and drive them into the outside of the timbers of the ark, so long as you and your family hang on, you'll be saved, but if you let go once, you'll be lost. Philip says, no, God shut him in. What it meant for Noah to be in the ark, it means for us to be in Christ. In him, God placed us in a sphere where his wrath can never reach us, where we are secure as Christ can make us. There's no more condemnation for sin. 
That's a tremendous statement and a great picture of what it means to be in Christ. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some people really need to think through their eschatology. God has not destined the believer in Christ for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it says. And again, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Tremendous truth. Now, before we go to verse 2 here in chapter 8, remember I told you a few weeks back there was a textual variant that's found at the end of verse 1 in the King James, New King James. After there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, uh, these versions add either who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit in the King James or who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit in the New King James. And I said that that, that phrase uh, is omitted in many of what textual critics would consider uh, the best of ancient manuscripts. It's found again down in verse 4, so it's probably uh, believed by most of the commentators that it's wrongly placed here. It's a scribal error and, and probably best to admit that phrase at this particular point in verse 1, and a couple of weeks ago I went through all the arguments about that. So the text should read this. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period, full stop. But why? What's the reason for our freedom from condemnation? Or to say it in another way, because they said the opposite of condemnation is justification, so what's the reason for our justification? And verse 2 gives the answer. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now the first thing we should understand in this verse is that first word for, F-O-R, really means because. So again, here's the reason that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because. Because the law. Now what is he talking about here? You might have noticed that uh, Paul uses the word law in a variety of different fashions. Sometimes he uses it to refer to the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments. But that's really not what he's doing here. It's more, the way he's using the word law here is more of a regulating principle. It's a governing, controlling power or influence like the law of gravity. Again, a governing power. Why why is there no condemnation? What's the reason for our justification? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and I think all of the translations, I believe, I could be wrong, but that spirit really should be capitalized. It's really Holy Spirit, spirit of life. He's, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. He's referring to the one who gives us life, the one who is the sustainer of life, the one who is life. So he's beginning to introduce the person of the Holy Spirit, who, I mean, I told you a couple times back, uh, he mentions at least 19 times in the first 27 verses of Romans 8. Verse 4, for example, says, We are to not walk according to the flesh, but according to the... Spirit, verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, verse 6, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, verse 9. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, etc., and so forth, right? So Paul's introducing the spirit here, the one whom he calls the spirit of life in Christ. And again, remember back in John, John chapter 3, when Christ spoke to Nicodemus, uh, Jesus answered, said, Truly, truly, unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. So that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, the person who brings life, that enlivens and empowers, the Holy Spirit who brings about our conversion, the one who allows us and causes us to be born again, born of the Spirit. The one who brings us from death spiritually to life spiritually. It's the spirit that brings life. It's the doctrine of regeneration. Donald Gray Barnhouse says this. He says, God announces that he proposes to save some men and join them to the Lord Jesus Christ forever. He reaches down and touches them where they are, dead in trespasses and sins. And in a moment when they have no thought of him, no concern for him, no thought of their need, no thought of salvation, he plants within them saving faith and by the Holy Spirit gives them the spirit of conviction that makes them feel their need. It appears to them, he says, as though they were seeking God, when in reality the very seeking is the first mark of <clears throat> excuse me, true eternal life 
that has already been planted within by God, and they have already been marked by him, by God, as his forever. So he says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, again, it's the person of the Holy Spirit who works in our soul through the gospel that allows us to understand the gospel, to be beneficiaries of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. He's saying for those who are in Christ, there's a new law. There's a new governing principle, a new governing force, a new influence in the life of the believer, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's the person of the Holy Spirit that gives us this new life through Christ, through the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John fourteen six. So he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. And that phrase, set you free, means to be liberated, emancipated. It's in the aorist tense, meaning that it's something that happened in the past. It's a completed action. Those who are in Christ have been, again, past tense, already emancipated, set free from another governing principle that once directed their lives. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free, here it is, from the law of sin and death. Now, before we came to faith in Christ, there was another regulating principle in our life, another power, another dominating influence. It was the law of sin, the law of total depravity, the the power of sin, the power of sin that once had a grip on our lives, once had a grip on our minds, our emotions, our affections, our wills. It was a power over us. In fact, it is the governing power, or the sovereign, if you will, of the unregenerate world. Before you come to faith in Christ, everyone was under this power, and everyone was a slave of sin, as it says in Romans 6 and 17. One writer puts it like this. He says, it is sin that controls and energizes and motivates and commands the entire world apart from Christ. The whole world is under the dominion, as it were, of the bondage of slavery of the law of sin. Further, the law of sin leads to death because the wages of sin is death. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Because now we are in Christ, we are under a new governing principle the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Because of Christ, we've been liberated, set free, released from the death grip that the law of sin once had upon our entire life. So the moment you come to faith in Christ, the moment you repent, God says, now no condemnation. And at the very same instant, the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free. Again, past completed action from the law of sin and death. What does that mean? It means that the moment you're justified, right, when the gavel comes down, the supreme judge of the universe says, not guilty, positively righteous in Christ, at that same time, the process of sanctification begins. At that same moment of justification, the process of sanctification begins, and you become separated more and more from sin, and become more and more looking like your Savior, more and more conformed to the, conformed to the image of Christ. That's when it begins. It's very poor teaching. I've told you several times through this series, it's very poor teaching and not true biblically to teach that a person can be justified and yet continue to live a life of habitual sin. And then somewhere down the road, a few years later after you quote-unquote accepted Jesus, you finally decide to quote-unquote dedicate your life. Or you decide to make a commitment quote-unquote to Christ. Somewhere down the road, then you start deciding you're going to walk in obedience. And then you decide you're going to make him Lord. That's bad theology. Because men don't make Christ Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And you can say amen to that because Jesus Christ is Lord. Acts 2 and 36. Let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Again, the Bible says you can't be justified and continue to live lives of habitual sin because the Christian has been set free from the law of sin and death. The Christian is now under a new governing principle, under a new governing power. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, you might catch up, might 
Maybe it just dawned on you that I tend to repeat certain verses over and over again. I don't know. Maybe it's for a purpose. I don't know. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ Jesus, or in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, new things have come. I mean, I, I see that completely liberating. I'm pretty excited about that. Guys want to argue with me, say, well, no, that's not really the way it is in my life. Well, I would say, you know, we'll sit down sometime and I'll introduce you to the biblical Jesus because the Jesus you're following is not the biblical Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. You know, I, I don't write this stuff either. I just read it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Just thinking of some conferences that guys like to put on and books that people like to write in opposition to what God's Word says that try to call themselves Christians. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God, the kicker, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, and such were, past tense, such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. Amen? I mean, that's truth. I'll tell you a secret. Jesus Christ saves people from their sins. <laughs> Right? I said it over and over again throughout this series in, in Romans that justification and sanctification cannot be separated. All who are justified are immediately being sanctified. Calvin put it like this, as Christ cannot be divided, so these two blessings which we receive together in him are also inseparable. Christ can't be divided, right? Neither can these two blessings be divided, justification and sanctification. So again, before we came to Christ, or speaking of the unregenerate man now, our master used to be, their master, the unregenerate, is sin. And sin controlled everything. And sin always leads to death, physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. But in Christ, there's now a new governing principle, another, a new law, another a new energizing principle and power through the work of the Holy Spirit that when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, we are delivered from the past master of sin, delivered from the law of sin and death. That's why there's no condemnation. And now in Christ, we're set on a new course in our life. Again, under a new governing power. Again, that power being the person of the Holy Spirit who gives us life on a spiritual level, who indwells us, who empowers us to pursue holiness and righteousness and love. That doesn't mean we're perfect, but it certainly does mean we're vastly different from who we used to be apart from Christ. It means we're vastly different from who we used to be apart from Christ and the way we used to live. Spent a lot of time in chapter 7 talking about the power of indwelling sin. The fact that sin is so powerful in us who are saved and who us, us who are in Christ, that the indwelling sin is so powerful in our flesh that we have to continually do battle with it moment by moment. And those who come along that teach that sin can be completely eradicated in the life of the believer here in time, again, don't understand what the Bible says on the issue of sin, the power of sin. Don't understand the the, the reality of the battle with uh, indwelling sin. So I never have I said it's perfection. But in Christ, aren't there some victories in your life? I mean, have you ever said no to sin in your life? I certainly hope so. I was hoping to get a shout of amen to that, you know. <laughs> say this, it's in my notes, say this, maybe they'll shout amen. No, it's not my notes, but... Aren't there some victories in your life? Amen. Before you came to Christ, all you could do is what? Sin and sin and sin and sin. And when you come to Christ for the first time in your life, you can say, I don't think I'm going to do that. For the first time, when you come to faith in Christ, there's another governing power, another governing principle in your life. You can say, I'm not going to do that because that does not honor Christ. Now, let me ask you, how many of you thought about that 
whatever you did before you came to faith in Christ, that this activity, whether it honors Christ or doesn't honor Christ? Answer, not a single one of you. Not me. Because before you come to faith in Christ, all you cared, cared about was yourself, right? You were dead to Christ. Christ didn't mean anything to you. You come to faith in Christ, and now you want to honor your life with Christ. You may not be perfect. That's okay. There's a perfect one. And again, he did not just take our sin. He did that. But in Christ, we have a perfect righteousness imparted to us. We are being made more conformed to the image of Christ on an ongoing basis. It's tremendous truth. Not perfect, but vastly different from who we used to be. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's the reason? Verse 2, because the law of spirit, the spirit of the life of Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We have new lives in Christ. Again, we struggle with sin. And and while we are all fail God at times and disobey God, while we do things that are ungodly, we do know that in Christ we have ultimately been removed from the realm of condemnation. So when you've not had a good day in sin, your standing at the end of the day is not based on your effort. It's based on the effort of the person of Christ, right? You have already been taken out of that realm, right? It's that performance trap that sometimes we get into going, well, I'm not so good. Well, okay, you're not good. (laughs) But in Christ, there's a good one who has given you his righteousness, right? Removed from the realm of condemnation because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So again, being in Christ, united with Christ, the penalty for sin has been paid for. The reality of the fact that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, why? Because we've been justified. Though, again, guilty, ungodly, declared to be perfect by God, no longer under any condemnation, not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that Jesus Christ has done and everything that Jesus Christ is. Right? The finished work of Jesus Christ. That's how we are justified. And we've been set free from the law of sin and death by the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said back in Romans 5, 20, says the law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's tremendous good news. And again, we're under a new controlling power, a new controlling influence, a new authority. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who indwells the justified, the Spirit who joins us to the person of Christ, the Holy Spirit who energizes our life, who leads us into all righteousness. Again, tremendous truth. I read it this morning, but it's worthy of a second read. In Titus 3 and 5, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's wonderful truth. And it's wonderful truth. I don't know if as you've been reading, you've caught it, but the entire Trinity is behind this wonderful work of God in our life. God the Father planned out our salvation from eternity past. God the Son won, W-O-N, won our freedom by bearing our sin as our substitute And God, the Holy Spirit, comes and joins us to Christ. He awakens us from the dead. He joins us to Christ, baptizes us into Christ, immerses us into Christ, and now dwells within us, sanctifying sanctifying us the entire, making us look more like Christ. The entire Trinity is at work. So the reality of the fact, right? There's no condemnation. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the life, the Spirit, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus or the law of the life-giving spirit of Christ in Christ Jesus, one version says, has set you free or set you free from the power uh, of uh, sin that led to death. So, so, so the reality of the fact is no condemnation. The reason, because we're justified in Christ. Now, how, how do we get there? What's the route that God took us to get there, to be in this place where there's no, no condemnation? Uh, the route, if you will, substitution, verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. As an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I'm telling you what, when we get to this, it's going to be good. The law is holy, righteous, and good. The law brings God's wrath 
however, and, increases, and results in increased sin, as we saw uh, several times in our study. The law only does one thing, right? The law condemns us. The law says do this and live, but we don't do that. And the problem, again, doesn't lie with the law. The law is holy, righteous, and good. The problem lies within us. We can't do it. The law demands perfection, and the law never shows mercy. The law knows no grace and knows no such thing as forgiveness. When you transgress the law at one point at one time, you are accountable for being a lawbreaker. You're guilty of all of the uh, breaking of all the laws, it says James 2 and 10. And that's why the whole fallacy of trying to get to heaven by being a better person or your own good works is so, so horrendous. No one's getting there. Remember we talked about you need a perfection that you don't have. You need a perfection that belongs to somebody else. And the law demands perfection. And the law demands, the law provides no power to keep the demands that it makes. Galatians 2 and 16, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. So again, no matter how conscientiously we try to keep the law of God, no matter how hard we try, the law never delivers anybody from the power of sin and death. All the good deeds in the world can never set you free from the condemnation of the law. I say that all the time. God doesn't keep a category like that of how many good works you do versus how many bad works you do. Because the Bible says if you're not in Christ, you've already been condemned. Did I read that this morning? And the gavel came down? Guilty. And apart from God's intervention, again, the only thing that the law can do is condemn us because of the weakness of our flesh. But we can praise God that God intervened. Again, verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. God intervened. God sent his own son. Salvation is completely possible in Christ because of the substitutionary death of God's son who paid the penalty for our sin that the law demanded. You know, when we get to that, it's going to be a wonderful portion of Scripture. It's going to be a good study. Because this is a good book, and this is a good chapter. This is a great chapter. Romans 8. We're going to look at the truth of substitution. One of the greatest truths, I think, found anywhere in the Scripture. Our Father and our God, we're thankful for this uh, look here tonight into Romans 8. We're thankful for the fact that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We give you all the praise and the thanks for that wonderful truth. Thank you for a great day of worship, a great day in your word. May we take your word, hide it in our heart, and our lives be transformed by it. We pray in Christ's name.